This is Bethel Online. Welcome home. This is the next best thing to being at Bethel on Sundays. We are driven by making disciples of Jesus who make disciples. When you're online, interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. When you're in Barhead, Alberta, drop in Sundays to Friday. Our goal on this podcast is to ask questions, challenge certainty, and grow a relationship with Jesus so you can go the distance and bring others with you. Thank you for tuning in. We have a short video we want you to watch uh, called Danny Velasco, the testimony. Danny's passed away now. Uh, powerful to- story, isn't it? A uh, couple lessons from it. Uh, $3,000 a day. Don't tell me makeup doesn't make money. He was a makeup artist. $3,000 a day, pretty good money. Uh, but even people who have lots still have an inner hunger. You can be the richest person in the world and still be unhappy. And the other lesson, of course, is that it doesn't matter how far down you go, God can still reach you. Some of you know people who are about as down as far as they can go, and God has not given up on them. And so don't stop praying. Keep loving. Keep uh, sharing Christ. It's really, really important. So glad you're here today. We're talking about the power of love. Did you know, do you know what this uh, means? This, uh, anybody know what that means? You know, yeah, a couple people know. E equals mc squared. It's a, it's a mathematical, a physics equation. Uh, Albert Einstein um, used it a lot and came up with uh, a theory of relativity. Uh, actually, it's the uh, theory that, or the, the mathematical equation that um, became the, the fa- foundation for nuclear fission and all those kinds of things. Um, energy equals mass times the light of sound squared. That's what it is. You probably did learn it at one point in time in school. You just have forgotten. How about the next one? How many know what that is? Pi. Pi. You, you learned about it. Uh, apparently March the 14th is Pi Day. I have no idea what that means and why we would celebrate that, but this is a mathematical equation that is used to determine the circumference of a circle or the area of a circle. Can I just ask you, if you know those things, how many have used those in your everyday life? When was the lot you have? The, the, the nuclear one or the... the <laughs> you know, we don't largely use them. We learn them, but we don't necessarily use them. At least a lot of us don't. Sometimes we do. It's possible for us to know theory. And it's possible for us to know the significance of something. But unless we can put it into practice and use it in our life, it really has little value to us. Really doesn't have much value. Einstein was all about simplifying things. He's regarded as one of the geniuses of the world. And uh, he focused a lot on simplifying things. said, basically... If it's not simple enough for you to explain it, then you don't really understand it. That's, that's a pretty good point. If you can't explain it to somebody else, 
it's too difficult and you don't fully understand it. Um, I, I think back over my years of ministry, and I really do believe this in all my heart, that as a preacher, my job is to preach to the lowest in the congregation, not to the brightest, not to the smartest. Because I could speak in such a way that would appeal to the smartest and then the children wouldn't understand. What good would that be? What good would that be? We have to simplify it and keep it simple. Even the gospel message. And listen, a lot of people are confused by the gospel message, but Jesus actually believed in simplifying things. Somebody once asked him, there's 600 and some odd laws in the Old Testament, and somebody said to him, Jesus, which is the greatest law of all the 600? And you recall we talked about this last night. He said it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't get much simpler than that. In fact, he says everything in the Old Testament hangs on these two commands. All the commands and all the prophets are all summed up in this one verse. doesn't get any simpler than that, does it? And of course, Jesus then said the same thing in the New Testament. In John chapter 15, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. He sums up all of Christianity with one sentence. Now, we complicate things, don't we? We make it difficult for people. But it's really not that hard to understand. And while it's relatively easy to understand, the question I ask of you is, why is it so hard to put it into practice? Why is it so hard to live out? Why do we struggle so much with the concept of loving God and loving people as ourselves? And yet, sadly, if we're honest, completely honest, the history of Christian churches does not stand up well to the test of love. Sadly, too many churches have been mired in politics and splits and anger and unforgiveness, people not talking to one another even though they worship in the same church. It's sad. And today, the evangelical church on the broad side, sadly, our reputation is not, oh, look how they love one another. That's not our reputation amongst the people of the world. In fact, typically, young people and people of the world say to us, Oh, you're too close-minded, you're uh, intolerant, you're prejudiced. Um, the first picture that most people have of the Christian church is not, oh, look how they love each other. That's not the picture that people think of us. There's too much anger and too much bitterness and too many things in the past, and yet Jesus reduced everything that we are you and I, as Christians, if you call yourself a Christian, everything you are is reduced to two statements. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on those two commands. And yet, sadly, even in many marriages, Christian marriages, where people vow to love one another, we, we struggle with it. We struggle to love one another even when we promise to love one another until death us do part. It's still hard. I don't know about you, but it's hard. Every marriage, every person I've talked to, it's, there are difficult days. There are hard days. 
And that's even with the people that we say we love. So when Jesus said we're to love our enemies, I mean, was he crazy? Love our enemies. And, and love those who use you and abuse you. Well, that doesn't even make sense. And forgive people over and over and over and over. If they hurt you, forgive them. If they hurt you again, forgive them. If they hurt you again, forgive them. Like, 70 times? No, 70 times. In other words, you don't stop. Christian love is about not just loving those who love us, but loving those who hate us, those who want nothing to do with us. And the situation became so bad that in one church, the Apostle Paul had to write to them and tell them again about the significance of love and the necessity of love. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. You've all heard it. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Listen, you can prophesy all you want. You can talk in tongues all you want. But if you don't have love, you're just making a big noise. You're nothing more than a big noise. Who cares whether you talk in tongues if you don't have love? Then he goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. That totally goes against everything that we believe today. If you knew something, or you knew someone who could move mountains with their faith, believe me, we would have them on TV. They'd be writing Christian books. They would be the hero of the day in the Christian church. We'd flock to their meetings. Jesus said they're nothing without love. Nothing. I am nothing. And then he says, if I give all my possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. If I give my body as a martyr, but don't have love, I am nothing. And I gain nothing. It's all for nothing. Notice the words. Resounding gong, clanging cymbal. I am nothing, I gain nothing. That's the person who doesn't have love. And we struggle with it, if we're honest. If we're completely honest, let's be honest today. No make-believe stuff. We struggle with carrying out the simplest command that Jesus gave to love one another as he loved us. We're angry, we're bitter, we have unforgiveness in our hearts, and it's a struggle. So let me be totally honest with you. The kind of love we're talking about is absolutely impossible. You can't do it. I can't do it. The thing that Jesus asked us to do, we can't do. It's not within us. You can't stir it up. It's impossible for you. We try. We know what we should do, and we try to do it. But we can't. The only way we carry out the command to love 
is by understanding Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. It says this, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You cannot stir up love. You cannot make it up. You can only become a channel of God's love. You can only love people as you let God's love be poured into your heart and it goes out to other people. You're just a channel. I don't believe it's natural. The natural thing is for us to look after ourselves, to fight for ourselves, to stand up for ourselves. That's what's natural. But God's asking us to do an unnatural thing, a supernatural thing, to love people the way he loves us. So what does this love look like? How do we live it out? If it's given to us and it's supposed to come out through us, to others, what does it actually look like? Let me give you just a few things. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Laying down of your life. I'll never forget, years ago, teaching on this subject in a Bible study class. And a lady spoke up. Her name was Linda Hodgson. I remember it as clear as day. She said, Pastor, I have no problem in the world giving my life for my husband. I would die for him. But don't ask me to turn down the thermostat. (laughs) Don't ask me to open the window. He wants it cool, I want it warm. Don't ask me to do that. And she hit me like a bolt between the eyes. That's what love is. We can talk all we want how we would die for one another, but when we talk about laying down our lives, we're not talking about dying for one another. We're talking about doing things that we really don't want to do because we love a person. And that's hard, if we're honest. Valentine's Day is coming up. You know, we, we give the flowers, we give the chocolates, we do all the things, but real love is sometimes turning down the thermostat when you want it warm, or vice versa. I I don't want to speak for the guy's sake. It may be the other way around. Maybe you want it cooler and you got to turn it up. John Maxwell's a a speaker, motivational speaker. He was a pastor for many years. He talks to business people all, all around the world now. He says, I know my wife loves me because every Friday she makes liver and onions. I didn't think he was going to get that reaction. But But do you know why he said that? He said, my wife hates liver and onions. She hates it. She does it for me. Whoa. Whoa. Sometimes, many times, love is doing things for others because we love them, even though they're not the things we want. So it may be liver and onions, it may be something else for somebody else, I don't know. I know when we got married, Elaine, we would say, I came from a family where every Sunday after church, we had roast beef and potatoes, every Sunday. 
I think it was really the only main meal my, my mother ever cooked, but it was good. I remember it. And Elaine, when we met, she said every Sunday they had, most Sundays, I was just, they had, it was chicken noodle soup. Well, chicken noodle soup and, and roast beef really don't jive, really. But I have to say, we've been married for 40-some years. I would dare say mm, 99%, 95% of the time, it's been roast beef. Roast beef. Here's something else Jesus said about love. It comes from the book of Luke, chapter 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Listen, anybody who tells you being a Christian is easy has never read that passage. And there's a lot more like it. We're not talking about not smoking, not dancing, not drinking, blah, 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 all the things that we used to talk about with good Christians and bad Christians and all the stuff. We're not talking about any of that junk. You want to know whether you're a Christian? Do you love people who don't love you? Do you give to people that probably will never repay you? So how do we do it? How do we love people um, that God wants us to love? Um, we know that without, without God's help, it's impossible. But that's not an excuse. Because with God's help, it's not only possible, it's expected of us. Like, please do not walk out the doors in a few minutes' time and say, well, Pastor just said, it's impossible for me to love. No, no, that's not what I said. It is impossible for you on your own. But you do call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ. Not only can you do it, but it's expected that you do it. He wants you to do it. He wants you to live this kind of lifestyle, lifestyle of love. And it's not in the big things. It's often in the little things. You remember Danny Velasco? One woman kept saying to him, God loves you. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for you. You're never down so far that God can't reach out to you. The day you call on God, he'll, he'll answer you. Just little things, little stuff. She wasn't even there the day that he ended up in the hospital. But her words came back into his mind. And she called out to God. And God fulfilled the words and the promise. I, I want you to watch a video and um, we have it on our Facebook page, but I want you to see it because this guy's not a Christian that I know of. I shouldn't say that. I, I don't really know what his background is. Uh, we've heard him speak on a lot of other issues, but I watched this this week, and man, it's, it's as Christian as can be without quoting chapter and verse 
take a take a listen to this it's the daily monotonous relatively boring things that we do that shows our spouse that we love them you can walk up to some stranger on the street and say god loves you and they're going to look at you like you're crazy but if you have a relationship with that person and over a period of time you can constantly talk or remind them or more importantly than that show them god's love it has an effect down the road Does that make sense i can't fix anybody's marriage in a week it doesn't happen even two weeks or three weeks you can come to me and sit on the chair and we can talk about your marriage I can't fix it in three weeks nobody can you want to work on it it's going to be daily moment by moment hour by hour doing the monotonous boring things that show that you love and gradually she'll come or he'll come to see that you really love them we've all done it have we not you, how, I won't ask that question. Ever been on a treadmill? When you get off it, do you feel better? Usually not. I don't know about you, but I'm huffing and puffing. <laughs> you know, don't feel better. Do I look better? No. Worse, sweaty. You know, like not very good. That's what happens in one day. But do it every day for a year. And what happens? You begin to show the effects. Read your Bible today. Do you have a great relationship with God because you read your Bible today? Or you read it for a week and you say, well, I don't really understand that. So you just give up. Well, it's not going to work in a week. It's reading your Bible consistently, regularly, Sometimes, in his words, doing the monotonous, boring things. Have you ever read Leviticus? Really? You don't develop a great relationship by reading Leviticus. But it's part of the book, and you do the daily, monotonous, boring things. When we talk about loving God with all we have, it's not something you do just on Sunday morning from 11 to 12. That's not it. It's showing God every day of our lives, every hour of our day, that he comes first. And we show him that. And that's a tough lesson to learn because it's so easy to come to church, sing a song, listen to a sermon, go home and think we've done everything we need to do. And you haven't even started. I haven't even started showing God that I love him. I haven't even started showing people that I love them. It's so simple. Love God with everything you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. And yet we struggle with it. It's one of the reasons why we come today to the communion table. Taking communion just today, if you've never done it before, it's not going to change you. Uh, Jesus said we're to take communion 
as a reminder of, of what he did for us, but it's also something we do regularly because it's life-giving. It shows our love for God. And the tragedy of it is that sometimes we allow it to become a ritual and just something that you do in church. And it can't be that way. I mean, communion was so important. We skip over this verse all the time. We don't like it. And so, and, and probably don't understand it, so therefore I know I haven't preached on it very often. But communion was so important to the New Testament church that the Apostle Paul said that if you don't do it right, some people have died. We just skip over that part because I don't fully understand it. And it just doesn't jive with my image of God. But what Paul was saying is, it's really important to recognize, A, the body of Jesus as our Savior and Lord and what he did for us, and also the body of believers, and that we cannot live isolated by ourselves. I'm really glad you're here today. I know it's cold. Uh, as we said before the service, you didn't come for me, that's for sure. Um, I don't think you came for the worship team. You came because of, A, your love for God and your recognition of the need of fellowship and sharing together. That's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. We're talking about the power of love. And it's the power that God uses to change us. And that as we allow God's love to flow through us, it changes other people. We can't do anything without it. It drives everything we do. And so I'm going to read a portion of scripture for you. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, maybe as we do, those who are serving communion, if you want to come forward and... Uh, I want to read the scripture for you and I've explained it many times but this is written to a church that was largely struggling with the whole concept of love oh they had tongues so many tongues that the pastor you know Paul had to write and say you know only three tongues per service only three messages of tongues and interpretation per service don't do any more than that like when was the last time you were in church where you heard three messages in tongues and interpreting? It doesn't happen very much. This church was wildly spiritual, but absolutely failures in loving. So he writes this. If you want to come now, those who are serving, please come. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat or drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do you whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So communion reminds us of how much God loves us and that he gave his life for us. But it also reminds us of how much we're to love other people by laying down our lives or turning down the thermostat or closing the window. It's not the big things, but often it's the everyday, boring, monotonous things that really reveal our love for God and our love for one another. So let's pray and ask God's blessing in these emblems that remind us of the broken body of Christ. Father God, we thank you for this day and for your great love for us. You showed it to us. You gave yourself for us. And you taught us not to get caught up with all the religious stuff, but to remind us that our main responsibility was to love you with everything we have and to love one another. And we want to do that today, Father. We want to be reminded that you gave yourself for us. We thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you so much for your love. And Father, we pray that today this will be a day when we reach out to you. Lord, maybe, maybe we have forgotten you. Maybe we've been distant from you. Maybe we've been afar away from you, but Today, even in this moment, we can reach out to you by reminding ourselves and declaring once again our need for the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, maybe there's somebody today in the church or outside the church, but we've not been getting along. We've been antagonistic, angry, unforgiving, Lord, may this be the time when we remember that this is what's expected of us. It's impossible for us to do it on our own. But we ask, O oh God, today that your love would be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Enable us to do what we can't do. And we'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some music's going to play. They're going to serve you communion. ask that you hold on to the emblems until everybody's been served, and then we'll take part together.